Our scripture reading today will be taken from the book of Deuteronomy. If you'd open your Bibles there, please, the Deuteronomy chapter 34. And then also I would like you to get your finger in Jude, which is the next to the last book of the New Testament. So we will be going there as we read the scriptures this morning. Deuteronomy 34, it's our final chapter. We come to the last look we get from this book of Deuteronomy. And here's what the text says, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 34. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea and the Negev and the plain and the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, that is God, buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. Now flip over to Jude for just a moment, if you would. We'll come back to the reading of Deuteronomy in a minute. But in Jude, and I want you to notice verse 9, this odd verse about this burial of Moses. In Jude, verse 9, but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So obviously, this becomes some type of critical issue in this body business and this burial business of Moses. We'll discuss it in the exposition this morning. Now let's go back to our Deuteronomy text, beginning at verse 7. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land, and for all the mighty power, and for the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. What a passage of scripture, what a, an ending to a book. May God add his blessing to the reading of that inspired passage and the exposition later. Will you join with me please in prayer? Our Father... Our Heavenly Father, what a great and glorious God you truly are, and what an amazing God in your scriptures you've revealed yourself to be. We cannot help having read this text, but thank you for the life of Moses. We thank you for his writings. We thank you for this book of Deuteronomy. It has been a great honor and privilege to have traveled through this inspired book. Help us to always remember the close connection between our obedience and thy blessings. Help us to always remember the close connection between our disobedience and thy chastisements. Lord, we pray that as we near the end of our days, our classification will be, there was a man, there was a woman of God, there was a servant of God. Lord, we pray for our country, we pray for the leaders. 
Please work in high places and high people and save them and turn their minds to ways that will enable you to bless us. Your people are in need of your intervention. Your people need your sovereign care. God, you are the God who's provided so much for us. You've provided our resources like oil and coal, and yet we have those who prevent those resources from helping your people. And then we look around this land, there are lawless, evil things that are happening that are a threat to your people. We have godless, immoral things flaunted at highest levels, and they make a mockery of what is decent and right according to your word. So we bow before you today, Lord, and we just appeal to you to help us. Be merciful to us. Intervene on our behalf. Work in our leaders' minds. Use your sovereignty to turn this around. We pray for those today of our own flock who are grieving. We think of Al Brody and the loss of his mother and Dorothy Van Tyle, the loss of her father. We would pray that you bring comfort to them. We pray for those that have physical ailments and infirmities. We pray that you give healing to them. We pray for many of our people in our church that are dealing with all kinds of issues. Lord, we cannot possibly meet all those needs, but you're God and you can, and we pray that you would meet them. And we also pray, Lord, as we do, that you would come get us soon. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most amazing men in the Bible, in fact, one of the most amazing men to ever live in history is Moses. His life story is riveting. I mean, it begins with a babe in a basket, and it ends up here on top of a mountain talking to God. But as all men everywhere eventually have the same story, the life is going to come to an end. No matter how great the man of God, no matter how much God has used the man, eventually life is going to come to an end. He had an incredible career. He had a phenomenal ministry and a wonderful life. He wrote five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We have had the privilege of expounding every one of those books. And as we bring this to a conclusion, we did it in 313 expositions all through those five books of Moses. He led the nation from captivity to freedom. He did things by the power of God no other man has ever done. I mean, he walks to a sea and holds up a staff and God parts a sea goes before Pharaoh and does those miraculous things that no other man has ever been able to do. In the famous hero chapter, faith hero chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, there are more verses dedicated to Moses than any other man. He was an impacting man. He was the biggest. He was the brightest. He was the best. He was the most faithful, but his ministry is over. It ends right here. The world is about to say goodbye to Moses because it's time for him to die. And right here is where it happens. The story of Moses ends the way you'd expect it to end. Moses' career and ministry ended with him obeying God and serving God until the very moment he took his last breath. We come now to the final moments of Moses' life and death. And it's just been an amazing testimony of things. He obeyed God. He served God. He taught the word of God right up until the moment he died. What a testimony. I mean, I hope that's true of us. They obeyed God. They served God. They were dedicated to the word of God right up until the moment they died. And when you look at this particular text, there are four concluding episodes that are brought out about his life and death. First of all, Moses goes up the mountain to see the promised land, verses 1 to 4. 
Now, we read in verse 1, Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. Moses did not get up one morning at age 120 and say, You know, I think I'll meander up there on top of a mountain to see if I can see the sights. I'll look for deer and elk and mountain goats. The fact of the matter is, God was the one who told him to go up on that mountain to see the promised land, and he said, you're going to go up on that mountain, you're going to die there. So the reason Moses is going up on this mountain is he's obeying God. That, of course, was his habit of life. I mean, that was his character. His habit of life was when he understood the scriptures and he understood the word of God, it was to obey it. That's what he did. He did what God told him to do. And he obeyed God in his life, so it stands to reason he's certainly going to obey him when it comes to his moment of death. Moses began his public ministry on a mountain, Mount Sinai. He'll end up his public ministry on another mountain right here, Mount Nebo. It ascends to an elevation of over 2,600 feet. Now that's some type of climb. That's no small climb for a guy who's 120 years old. In fact, that's no small climb for anybody of any age, but it shows you that Moses still had his, as the text says, vigor. Moses still had enough physical strength and stamina to make the climb. It reminds me of a, a story I read about a couple in their 90s who decided they were going to get married. And they were out for a drive one day, and the future husband said to his fiance, hey, let's stop at that pharmacy and talk to a pharmacist. So they pulled into the parking lot, and they asked to talk to the pharmacist, and he came out. They said, we'd like to ask you some questions. Would you be willing to answer them? He said, sure. Do you sell blood pressure medicine here and heart medication? Pharmacist said, sure we do. Do you sell medicine for rheumatism and medicine for eyes? Yes, we do. Do you sell medicine for memory issues and cholesterol issues and sugar issues? Yes, we sell that. Do you sell vitamins and sleeping pills, antacids and Geritol? Pharmacist said yes. Do you sell wheelchairs and walkers and canes? And the pharmacist said yes. We have all sizes, shapes, and speeds. The man said good because we'd like to register for our wedding gifts here. <laughs> Moses was 120 years old. He's still in shape. He doesn't need a pharmacist to help get him to the top of this mountain. He doesn't need any of that. He makes this climb all on his own. Now, Mount Nebo is part of a mountain range that's located east of the Dead Sea and Jordan River. And Pisgah is a sloping place, which is a great place to get a look at the promised land on the other side of the Jordan. It's located about 15 to 16 miles west of Jericho. And from this spot, you can see a long ways. You can see Jerusalem, which is about 24 miles away. You can see the Bethlehem area, which is 30 miles away. You can see the Mediterranean and the far horizon. When you're up there and you're on this vantage point, Moses would not only have a view of the promised land, but also the key spots that are in the promised land. And while he was up there on the mountain, the Lord himself pointed things out to him. And then that's what we see that the Lord showed him, we read in verse 1, the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. I mean, you're looking there, 100, 
well over 100 miles to the north if God's showing you Gilead to Dan, and then you look to the northwest, it's a counterclockwise route that God's pointing out to him, by the way. He looks to the north, and he sees Dan, then he looks to the northwest, and there's what God's pointing out. That'll be the land of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and then he looks to the west. That'll be the land of Judah that goes to the Mediterranean Sea. He looks to the south, and he would see the Negev and the valley of Jericho as far as Zoar. He saw it all. You know, when we lived in Pocatello, we had what was called benches. There was the west bench and there was the east bench. And you could literally, if you got up on that east bench of Pocatello, Idaho, you could look out there 160 miles and see the mountain peaks of Sun Valley, Idaho. You could actually look across the desert and see that 160 miles away on a good clear day. And that apparently is what is happening here. But I want to make up an important theological point here about this, because it isn't just visual for Moses. This has real theological sense to it. The Old Testament law can only show you the righteousness of God at a distance. It cannot give you the righteousness of God. You can look at that Old Testament law and you can see the righteousness of God. The problem is you can't obtain it. The Old Testament law can point out all areas of failure we've ever had in our lives. That Old Testament law can point out sin after sin after sin, but it can't save us. Only Jesus Christ can save us. And if you follow Moses, if your goal is to follow Moses and the Old Testament law, you'll never end up in heaven. And you'll never end up in the blessings of God in eternity. Because only Jesus Christ can do that. Only Jesus Christ can take us there. And that's exactly, I think, the reason why Moses is on this mountain looking at all of this. And after Moses saw all of this, God spoke to him in verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, and he gives him four messages. This is the land that I swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now let's think through the time frame of this. This is important. In our study of the importance and history of Israel, we dated things. We came up with some dates that were pretty accurate as to when they would have occurred. We dated Abraham as being somewhere around the year 2100 BC. We dated Isaac as being somewhere around the year 2065 BC. We dated Jacob as being somewhere around the year 2005 BC. We dated Moses' birth coming in at about 1524 B.C., and we date his death here at 1404 B.C. So what that means is God had promised Abraham that he was going to give him that land in 2100 B.C., so we have had a period of time here of about 700 years. 700 years have transpired from the time when God first told Abraham, I'm going to give you that land until the time that he's standing here telling Moses, this is the land that I'm going to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the land I promised to them. What that tells us, ladies and gentlemen, is that God does not forget about one inch of that promised land. He does not forget about one promise, even though there may be a gap of time between when he makes the promise and he fulfills the promise. He doesn't forget about this. Moses is looking at this land. God is telling Moses, this is the land I promised to Abraham 700 years ago. And even though Israel doesn't even have this land right now, God has not forgotten about one inch of that land yet. And she will one day have it. But there is such a critical principle to see here. God doesn't forget his word just because there are time lapses. 
that's important for people to realize here. When God makes a promise, he literally is going to keep the promise, even if there is a gap of time between when the promise is made and when he fulfills the promise. If he promises heaven for one who believes in the Lord or hell for one who does not believe in the Lord, there can be a time gap of X number of years before you finally reach eternity, but I guarantee you that promise will be literally fulfilled. If he promises that he will give rewards to faithful believers, those who are not faithful will lose rewards. There may be a time lapse of years in between when a believer comes to faith in the Lord, when they get to be before the Lord, but I guarantee you he won't just forget about that and say, oh, let's just forget about it and love them here. If God promises that he's going to give a blessed life to one who obeys him, and a cursed life to one who doesn't, like he's been doing all throughout Deuteronomy, even though the person may temporarily be in a position where things aren't going so bad, God is not just going to forget about this. See, God is a God who remembers every promise he makes. He fulfills every promise he makes literally, and that's the case here when he says, this is the land that I told Abraham I was going to give him. The second message is, this is the land I'm going to give to your descendants. That's what he says in verse 4, I will give it to your descendants. And notice, I will give it to your descendants. He doesn't say, I might. I wish people would understand this. God is not done with Israel. We, the church, have not replaced Israel. No way. God has a specific land. He's promised to give to Israel. She doesn't have a fraction of it right now. But I guarantee you, time and history are moving toward events that will lead to her having every bit of that land. And as we just mentioned, just because there's a multiple-year gap between the land promise and the fulfillment of the land promise does not mean it is not going to be fulfilled. And what God says to Moses is, I want you to know, I'm going to give that land to your descendants, Moses. Israel is one day going to have the totality of this land. In 1406 B.C., Joshua led Israel across the land into the Jordan. She's never had all of it. Even during the days of David and Solomon, where she had the most of the land, she didn't have all of it. But God says she will one day. I'll give it to your descendants. Then he said, number three, this is the land I've let you see. He says in verse 4, I have let you see it with your eyes. Now that's what God promised Moses he was going to do. You're going to lead him to the land. I'm going to let you see the land. And he's fulfilling his promise. He promised that he would let Moses physically see the land. He literally did, again, learn an important lesson about God. When God makes a statement to his people, he fulfills it literally, even if there's a time frame between the moment of the statement and the time frame of the fulfillment. But then he says, this is land you're not going to enter. At the end of verse 4, but you shall not go over there. Man, Moses was a great man. It doesn't get any better than he was. I mean, even as God will assess him later in this very chapter, there's no one that's like him. But as good a man as he was, his works and his law-keeping could not take him into the promised land. Because as great a leader and as faithful a leader as he was, he was still a flawed leader. There are no perfect leaders with the exception of one perfect person who ever came to this earth, and that was Jesus Christ. We know from Numbers chapter 20 and Numbers 27 that the reason why God was not going to let Moses go into that land is because of that one 
lousy episode where God told him, go out there and speak to the rock and produce living water out of it, which represented the living water he would produce through his son. And Moses got mad at the people. He struck the rock twice. And as a result, he was punished and not being able to go into the land. Now, God was gracious to Moses. He's gracious to him right here. In fact, he'll honor him at an unreal level here. But God's grace never negates his government. You and I live in a period of grace, but we must always concern ourselves with what does the word of God say and how would God want us to govern ourselves? We must always be concerned about that. Now, it's significant to see that God does not bring up the reason here why Moses is not going to go into the land. He's already told him that. He told him that earlier. But let's be clear on this point. Those who follow Moses understand this. You're not ever going to make it to heaven. You may think you're going to get there by following the law. I'm going to follow Moses and the Old Testament law. I'll pick things I like and the things I don't like and can't do, I won't worry about. You're not going to get to heaven following the law. You're not going to get to heaven following Moses. Moses didn't make it himself into the promised land. And we're not going to make it to heaven on ourselves. And the fact of the matter is, we need to be people who realize the grace of God is found totally and completely in Jesus Christ, which is indicative of Joshua, who would lead him there. Which brings us to the second concluding episode. Moses dies in the land of Moab in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. Eugene Merrill, in his commentary, made an interesting observation when he said, the account of Moses' death and burial is succinct and mysterious. I mean, Moses gets to look at the land, but he doesn't get to go into the land. And that tells us something about how things of God work. I mean, sometimes we dream about something and we want something, but we're not going to be around to do it. We pray fervently for this country, and I hope you pray individually for this country. We do collectively. At our prayer meetings, we pray for this nation. But the truth is, if God decides to turn this nation around, we may not be here to see it. Those of us that are praying who are in our 70s, we may not be here to see it. Maybe our kids will see it. Maybe our grandkids will see it if the Lord tarries, which I'm not sure he will, but I don't know. I'm not a date setter. But that's Moses. Moses is there. He's looking at it, but he's not going to be the one to experience it. But when he dies here, there are nine specific facts brought out. First of all, he died in the presence of God. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land that I will give you. I let you see it. So verse 5, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. He died there in the presence of God. Nobody's there with him except God. Now, when someone is near death, it's nice if you can get your family there. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. It's nice if they happen to be there around you when you die. It's not the end of the world if they aren't there. Because one thing is for sure, in both the Old and the New Testament, God is there. The fact of the matter is, no one dies alone ever. Paul said in Romans, which is the next book we're going to go, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. We live or die, we die to the Lord. Live or die to the Lord. So therefore, nobody dies alone. And Moses is dying here in the presence of God. Secondly, Moses was a servant of the Lord. That's what we read in verse 5. Moses, the servant of the Lord. What a life he had. This guy is a big name still to this day for the nation Israel. They don't get any bigger than Moses. 
And the fact of the matter is, he is called a servant of the Lord. That's high praise coming from the Lord. If in our final moments of life, it is said, there's a man of God, there's a woman of God, there's a servant of the Lord, boy, that's the way you want to die. Because if you die that way, you're eternally rich. The third fact is, he died in the land of Moab. I mean, that's what the text says, he died in the land of Moab, and that is stressed that he didn't die in the promised land. He died up there somewhere on that mountain, looking at the promised land in the land of Moab. But then the fourth fact is he died according to the word of the Lord. I want you to see that there in verse 5. He died according to the wording of the Lord. Now that's how you want to die. That's how I want to die. I don't want to die drugged up on morphine. I don't want to die that way. And I don't want to die by a decision that I made or somebody else made. I want to die according to the sovereignty of God in the time frame of my life. That's how I want to die. That's how Moses died. Nobody's helping this cause along. I mean, nobody's looking at Moses saying, well, let's just stop giving him food and drink. He'll go quicker that way. No, he's dying in the right time, the perfect time for him to die, and it is according to the word of the Lord. That is how we want to die. That's how I want to die. And I'm not faulting others who do it, but that's the way we wanted our mother to die. We had a choice to make. We said, is she in pain? No. <laughs> we'll keep feeding her and we'll keep giving her stuff to drink and she's not going on morphine. She's not going on any medication at all. We'll let the Lord take her when he wants her, which ultimately he did. The fifth fact is, though, he was buried by God in an unmarked grave. Now look at verse 6. And he, that is God, God buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. Now this is the only person we know of who was actually buried by God. And that fact alone testifies of Moses' greatness. And as we saw from Jude 9, when we read that verse this morning, God had an archangel involved in this burial who was Michael. Michael was there. Satan wanted this body. Satan wanted this body. There was apparently some type of argument. He was not permitted to get this body. And God was the one who chose the burial spot. God is the one who knows the burial spot. And nobody has been able to find it. Now, some have concluded that the reason why God did not want the burial spot of Moses to be able to be found is because people would make a shrine out of where he was buried or a shrine out of his body, and they would worship that. Their tendency was toward idolatry. I think there perhaps is another reason. You see, I think why God buried this body is because of theology. And here's what I mean by that. If... The people of Israel knew where Moses' body was buried. They would have most likely taken that body and moved it into the promised land and reburied it. And I think God is making sure that his people realize the law that Moses wrote does not take anyone into the promised land. The law that Moses wrote does not take anyone to heaven. That comes only through Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And I support that argument based on the fact that from Matthew and Mark and Luke at the transfiguration, Moses shows up in that land with Jesus Christ. 
That would clearly prove that only Jesus Christ could take Moses into that promised land, even though he was the only law writer and giver. It was only Christ who could take him into that land. Israel needs to know that. Every sinner needs to know that. Israel needs to understand. Every sinner needs to understand. Moses can't take you to heaven. Moses can't take you into the promised land. Only Jesus Christ can get you there. You know, People will invest thousands and thousands of dollars and travel thousands and thousands of miles to look at pyramids in Egypt built by Moses' people. But they spend very little effort understanding the great books that Moses wrote. And they have them right before their eyes every single day. Moses wrote this book of Deuteronomy. He died. He was buried. That body's never been found. The sixth fact is he was over 120 years old when he died. We read that in verse 7. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, Moses, I'll tell you what, he had anything but a boring or dull life. He lived 120 years. 40 of it was spent in Egypt as a prince. 40 of it was spent in Midian as a humble shepherd. And 40 of it was spent as a great leader for God, leading the people of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. What you can see just by analyzing Moses' time frame is the greatest years of his life were the last years of his life. The truth of the matter is, we may learn more about God's word and we may do more for God in the final years of our lives than we do in the early years of our life. That's the story of Moses. Now, as I was preparing this particular exposition back on May 11, 2022... There were five living men who were between the ages of 111 and 116. One was from France, China, Japan, Malaysia, and Venezuela. There were eight women between the ages 114 and 118. They were from the United States, Colombia, Japan, two women, Argentina, Spain, Portugal, and France. And by the way, one of the women, just for your information, was a woman whose name was Ada Thompson. I'm hoping I'm related to her, but probably not. She's, she's 111, 111 years old. So even to this day, there are still people who live well over 100 years old, and there are still people that live in various countries that are over 100 years old, but the next two facts, I mean, it's very rare for somebody that's over 100 years old. Moses had good eyesight. Verse 7 says, and when he died, his eyes were not dim. Moses was not hindered by old age or physical eyesight. He could look out and see these places. I mean, when God's pointing out these places where Israel is going to live, he could look out there and see them. By virtue of the fact that he could look and see all the promised land indicates he still had razor-sharp eyesight. And typically, as we get older, we lose our eyesight. I mean, that's the way it works for most of us. But Moses still had his. He was not wearing glasses. What a blessing of God. The second thing that's brought out is he died with good vigor. That's what it says there at the end of verse 7. Nor his vigor abated. That's a rare Hebrew word. Lick, lick, is how you pronounce it in Hebrew. It's a particular word that would indicate he was fresh. He had good strength. He was still strong. I mean, this guy is 120 years old. And the reason why God brings this out, I think, is because the reason he's not going into the promised land is because he doesn't have the strength to get over there. And he doesn't have the vigor. He could have walked into that promised land with the best of them. 
with 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. He had that kind of strength about him. He could have done what they're doing. The reason he didn't get to cross that is because that law and your sin cannot take you into the promised land. And there's a theological point that you'll certainly see developed in Romans. Which brings us to the ninth fact is Israel mourned for Moses for 30 days. You know, there are times when somebody dies and they're more appreciated after they're dead than when they were alive. shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is at times. I mean, people argued with Moses when he was here and he got so frustrated with them. That's what prompted him to hit that rock two times. He got so frustrated with those people. But after he died, they realized, man, oh man, what did we have here? We had an awesome man of God here. And after he died, they mourned for 30 days. I mean, when you lose a great man of God, you mourn. When John Miles died, I wept. I still do if I think about it, if I let my mind go there. He died in 2009. I'm still not over it. Moses died, and for 30 days, these people mourned. And that was their habit. I'm not sure it was in their heart. I mean, they went through physical rituals of mourning, and that's what the nation Israel often did. I am not sure how much of it was really gripping there. I'm sure there were some in there that were deeply saddened by the loss, probably not a great deal. Which brings us to the third episode, Joshua succeeds Moses. There in verse 9, we read, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua is going to end up doing what Moses couldn't do, and that is take them into the land. And Joshua is a metaphorical type picture of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ can do what the Old Testament law couldn't do, and that is he can save us and take us all the way to heaven. When a loved one dies, when a guy like Moses dies, you have to go on. By the way, you don't replace them. I've never bought into that. I've told you that before in this exposition. When someone who's here on earth dies, you're not going to replace them in your family. There isn't going to be a replacement. They're going to be gone. That's the way it really is. I mean, you get all this, well, we just, you know, somebody will replace them. No, they won't. Nobody's going to replace Moses. Now, Joshua was singled out by Moses to be his replacement, and he laid his hand on him. And so as soon as Moses was dead, the people were willing to give him the allegiance and follow his lead, which they did as they go into the promised land in the book of Joshua. And according to verse 9, he was filled with the spirit of wisdom that gave him the authority and the wisdom to be able to lead the people of God into the promised land. He was equipped to do the job because Moses had been connected to him in equipping him to do the job. And finally, Moses is exalted. That's how the book ends. The final words pertaining to Moses are moving and monumental. Four final words words are given. There has never been another prophet in Israel equivalent to Moses. That's what's stated, by the way. There's my thesis. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. You don't replace a guy like that. Nobody was in his league. This is a great man of God. Joshua's a great man. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing Joshua here. He is a great man of God, a great warrior. He did not equal Moses. The only prophet greater than Moses 
to ever be on this earth was the God Savior's son, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. There's not going to be another Moses that's going to rise up on this earth. There's never been another Lewis Ferry Chafer. He influenced many, many people. There's never going to be another Dr. John Wolvert. He influenced many people. And by the way, one thing I left out in that Dr. Wolvert illustration that I gave a couple of weeks ago here in the pulpit, I do want to add to this. You know, when Dr. Wolvert's mother was pregnant with Dr. Wolvert, the doctor said, you need to have an abortion because if you don't have an abortion, you're likely to die. And his mother said, this child has been given to me, my God, I'm having this baby whether I live or die. Well, she ended up having the baby and watching her son grow up to become one of the greatest biblical theologians to ever walk on this earth. But the thing I left out is she lived to be over 100 years old. You don't replace these guys. At best, you follow what they taught. You model them. You try to follow what they stood for and get the blessings of God they had. The second final word is there has never been another prophet in Israel with whom God spoke face to face. See, that's what made Miriam and Aaron mad. Remember that? Well, God only speaks to him. Well, who is he? Anybody can do that. I mean, that's what they thought. That's why she ends up with leprosy, if you remember that episode that we went through. And there were times when the people of God were so upset that God wanted to wipe them out. There were times when God said, at least two times that I can recall in our previous studies of different Old Testament books, at least two times where God said to Moses, I'm going to start all over again. I mean, I'm going to use you and I'm going to start all over again. These people just can't take it. I mean, that's the kind of communication, face-to-face communication that God had with Moses. He has not had that with us. I mean, I know we sing the song, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and I go to the garden, and and he's there. I mean, it's a good song. I like the song, actually. It's fun to sing that song. It's not theologically accurate, because we don't go walking in the garden. God talks to us. But he did talk to Moses. Thirdly, there's never been another prophet in Israel who performed the signs and wonders that he did. You know, every now and then you get one of these oddball ministers that They think they're going to be like Moses and they're going to, I read one guy took his congregation to a beach and said God was going to part it. And of course, God didn't part it. I just read a story this week about a guy who he took his congregation out and said he was going to walk on water without any of those, you know, magical tricks they use in Vegas to do that. He actually went out in a boat and he said, I'm going to walk on water and he drowned. I mean, went in the water and they couldn't recover him and he ended up drowning. And as a result of that, they make a mockery of what the Word of God says. But through Moses, God did do incredible things. He performed amazing signs through Moses that he'll never perform through anyone else. And finally, there has never been another prophet in Israel who did the things Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That's how verse 12 ends it. And for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. What's interesting about this is when we went through the book of Exodus, Moses didn't even want this job. He said, ah, you got the wrong guy, God. I'm not the guy to lead that nation. There are people better than me. Go get them. I mean, there are people that are more eloquent in the way they can talk, and they're just more polished in the way they are before the people. You remember, Moses didn't even want this job, but God said, you're my guy. You're my guy. And God laid his hand on him, And he took this man 
And he used him in a great way right up until the moment he died. And you don't replace that guy. You just go on. And there's only been one other person who came to this earth greater than Moses. And that one other person is Jesus Christ. What a privilege it's been to go through this book of Deuteronomy. I thank God for this book. And I want to thank you because the vast majority of you have been here through this whole book. You've gone through the entire book. Very few in Israel have taken this book seriously. God will always bless those who do, and I hope you do. Now, there's a statement in Psalm 139 that says, The days of our lives are written down by God from the moment of conception until the moment of our death. The days of our lives are numbered, written down by God from the moment of our conception until the moment of our death. What we need to know from these five books of Moses is his law cannot get us into heaven. Moses is the one who wrote the law. It couldn't get him into the promised land. And it isn't going to get us into heaven. Only Jesus Christ can get us there. You believe on him. You will have everlasting life. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do that right now, right where you sit. We would advise you to do it. You don't have to make any public spectacle of this. This is private business between you and God. Just right where you sit. Just admit the fact that you're a sinner and invite Christ into your life to take it over and be your Savior. Father, thank you for this marvelous book we've had the privilege of exploring It has taken us in all kinds of different directions and all kinds of different dimensions. I want to thank you for the 45 studies that we've had that have been able to get us from page one to this finale. And I pray, Lord, that this book will be something that will transform our minds and lives. I pray we think on it, reflect on it. I pray you bring it to mind in certain situations of life so we know how to apply it. And we pray that you would be pleased with us as you were with Moses. In Jesus' name, amen.